Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, as we uh, start a new ministry year, I thought it would be important to take a weekend and do something a little bit different in this message. I think it's good from time to time to really recast where we're going and recast again what, what's in front of us. And, and I think especially as a church coming out of a pandemic with all the changes we've experienced, um, a, a lot of you are just coming back to the campus for the first time. Uh, some of you have yet to come to the campus for the first time, and I understand that. With, with all that's going on with COVID and Delta, I understand some of the hesitation around that. For some, you're brand new to venture. Uh, you just started this journey with us. And so I think it's good from time to time to just stop and go, hey, what is in front of us and how can you get involved with it? But it's always important that anytime you talk about the what and the how, you always remember the why. What, what are the big picture things, especially coming out of a season of so much change when we have to change that much more? You know, I was reminded of the story of when the Vikings settled in Greenland. Now, you may not realize it, a thousand years ago, Eric the Red led a group from Norway. It's an amazing expedition. And they came and they settled Greenland and lived there. And this is the part that always blows me away. They lived there for 450 years. And then they disappeared. It was gone. This group that had come, and we always think of the Vikings as kind of these seafaring you know, warriors that are always attacking. They, they actually were farmers. They were ranchers. They came, they had a, a very lawful society and group as, as archaeologists have studied it. And when they came to Greenland, because they were farmers and ranchers, that's what they did. They planted crops. They had, you know, cattle. And it was seen as a sign of very much prosperity if you, you had a cow. The problem was the topsoil is so thin there. And so after they had farmed it after that period of time, with the wind and, and with the topsoil that wasted away, they were pretty much left with this, this piece of land of Greenland that couldn't sustain this society any longer. And so after 450 years, they disappeared. And, and as people studied it, they, they can go back and look through archaeology, they realized at the very end, they basically starved to death. And that was the part that everybody's amazed with, because if you know anything about where Greenland's situated in the Atlantic, it's one of the most fertile fishing areas in all the world. I mean, you're sitting on top of this abundant resource. But here's the thing about Vikings. They don't eat fish. In fact, they think it's wrong to eat fish. And so as they went through and they study, you can go back and, and see the, the sediment and the layers and they looked at the bones and the bones of the cows that they'd eaten and the bones of the calves that last winter when they had pretty much decided we're not going to have a future here. And so they ate their future. They even ate their pets at some point. I, I thought it was telling in the book uh, Collapse, How Societies Choose to Fail or Succeed. Jared Diamond says this sentence, and, and it's really important. He says, societies fail they do not typically fail because of some cataclysmic event. It's not some meteor, not some pandemic even that causes the failure. 
He says it's something much simpler. Societies fail because they turn inward. They perpetuate their cultural model at all cost and merely try to just hold on and survive. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, the whole society, it doesn't fail because some bad thing came along. It fails when people turn inward, when you hold on to your model at all cost, and you just want to survive. And I say these words because I think it's important for a church, especially as we're thinking about the future, and we've come out of a pandemic, and we're back in the building, and we're going to do some of the ministries we want to do, and we think about where we're going. But in a time where there's been so much change, it's easy to get a mentality where we just, if we could just survive, if we could just go back to what we had and what we like to do and what we know to do. And the problem, not just with the society, the problem with the church, man, when a church gets that way and it turns inward in it, they don't survive as well. You know, several years ago, I I was touring a church building. It was a part of a church plant and we were looking to purchase a facility. Our church was growing and God was blessing. And so we're walking through this church and I'm looking at the building in it and it was on a pretty good site and they had a lot of buildings. The problem, it wasn't very well maintained. In fact, I, I, I laughed because the only thing that was maintained really well on the campus was a tennis court. And I'm like, somebody's keeping up with the tennis court and found out one of the wealthier members taught lessons there. And so he paid to keep the tennis court up. But the, the rest of the building, it just it was disarray. And as I asked the lady who was showing me around and then one of the guys that was on the committee that was selling it, I said, so what are you guys going to do? I mean, what are you going to do with the money from the sale? And they said, well, we're going to take the money and just go build a smaller church just like this one. And I was like, so you just want to do the same thing again? They go, yeah, we just want to do this again, just smaller. And so we'll buy a smaller piece of land, build a smaller building, and just do it there. And, and even as he's saying, I'm like, do you hear yourself? I mean, if, if you're just going to do this again, aren't you just on the same trajectory? And it really stood out. I was walking by a classroom, and, and the lady with me, she goes, oh, this is one of my favorite classes. Look at the name of it. And the name of the class was Pairs and Spares. And she said, it's this great class. It's for couples, and then we have some singles. And, and I stopped her and said, are you seriously telling me that you call single adults spares? And she goes, oh, yes, isn't that funny? I said, do they like being called that? And she goes, oh, we've always named it that. And as we were walking down the hall, I kept thinking, yeah, that might be why you're selling your building, is that kind of mentality. Now, I, I don't want to just pick on that church, because the reality for all of us, whether it's church, whether it's our home, we can get pretty stuck in the way we like to do things and really miss out, especially when God's doing great things. Sometimes we can be the people that miss it the most. And it stands out to me when you look in Scripture, if you've got your Bibles or we'll look at it on the screen, in Mark 2, there's a story in Mark 2 that's told in three of the Gospels. And it's one of those stories that shows how how Jesus is doing this new thing, and yet the people, especially the religious leaders, are the ones that miss it the most. Read with me. We'll look in Mark 2. In verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came and said to him, said to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? 
Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? That's a little bit of a strange answer to it. He asked a question. He says, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast that day. Now, here's what he's teaching in that. He's talking about fasting as a spiritual discipline. And, and so fasting is when you go without food. You, you would not eat. And that's how they practiced it. And, and you would do that as a form of prayer. You do that sometimes as a form of confession or preparation before God. Uh, Jesus wasn't against fasting, obviously. I mean, he fasted 40 days to begin his ministry. He teaches us how to fast in Matthew 5. But the Pharisees, especially in this time period, they had taken this practice of fasting and and it was only required in the Old Testament law one day a year. On the Day of Atonement, everyone was told to fast. But the Pharisees had turned it into something that you were supposed to do two days a week. Every Monday and every Thursday, if you were really going to be a spiritual person, you should fast. And they actually had this whole ritual about it. that They would put on bad clothes and they'd have a sad face and everyone knew that you were fasting. I mean, everyone knew you're miserable with that. And, and so Jesus, when he taught us about fasting, he said, don't do it that way. Don't make it a ritual. Don't make it something that everybody else sees. It needs to be something that, that you do privately with it. But Jesus and his disciples, apparently, they didn't practice this. And so they come to him and they go, why are you not doing that? And, and he says, because you got to know the why behind it. If you go to a wedding, do you expect to fast? Now, a wedding in that time period would last about a week. It's a huge celebration. And it was the biggest celebration in the city. I mean, every town loved a wedding because you want to be invited to that week-long party. And so Jesus said, you would never go to a wedding during that week and expect that anyone's fasting during that time. That's not the purpose of it. So he says in the same way, while I'm here, and he's calling himself the bridegroom, and he knows he calls the church the bride. He said, I'm here for this short period of time. It's got a really unique purpose while I'm here. And so while I'm with them and while we're together, there's not the purpose of fasting. It was a good thing to do. This is just not the right time to do it. And this isn't how we practice it. And then he continues on. Look how he puts it in this. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and the worst tear is made. Uh, And so I I don't know if people even do this anymore. They patch clothes. When I was a kid, we were poor. And so I I grew up on patch clothes. I grew up on hand-me-downs. I had two older brothers. And I still remember... We would get these the, the, these jeans, they called them tough skins. I, I don't know what they were made out of. But like when you first got them, you could barely bend them. And my older brothers, even with tough skins, they would always wear out the knees. And my mom would get these. They weren't uh, sewn on. It was like these iron-on patches that were like, and they were cardboard on it. But even they would shrink. And what Jesus is, is saying, when you've got a piece of cloth that's old and it's already shrunk, and you put this new patch on it, and then it shrinks, it's actually going to tear. Mixing the new with the old doesn't always work if they're not prepared for it. In the same way, he says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skin, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wineskins. 
So they would have wineskins. They, they would have a container that was often made of goat skin, sometimes leather. And so that would hold the wine in it, this flask. The problem is, over time, they get real rigid. They stop giving. And so if you put new wine that was still fermenting in this old wineskin, it, it would start pressing to the point that it would rip the seams open. And you, you lost not only the wineskin, but you also lost the new wine. Now, Jesus, and he's teaching as only he can, because he's using an illustration everybody standing there would understand. They go, oh yeah, no, you never put new wine in old wineskin. They know exactly what it's like, but he's applying it to them. And he's applying it to us. And I think these principles that we're talking about, especially when you think about a church, you think about your spiritual life, of the ways that we might become kind of like those old wineskins. I mean, if you look at it, the trouble with old wineskins, three things he points out with it is, one, they become rigid instead of flexible. I mean, they just become very rigid over time in it. Uh, and as I, I'll be honest, as I get older, I, I find myself getting more rigid. At least my kids accuse me of it. Uh, at, at home, they always are, are frustrated because when I want to change the TV, I have one remote that I know how to work. And I'm like, where is the old big remote? And you know, I'm going through a bunch of buttons and they always like, dad, if you'll just use this one, you can go there. And it's immediately like that. And I'm like, I don't care. I know how to use this one. I'm doing it this way. I know it's like grumpy old man with it. And even as I say that, I go, yeah, you're getting a little rigid. And, and we can do that in life in different ways. But boy, what happens when a church gets rigid? That's what Jesus is saying to the, the Pharisees. Man, you guys have gotten so rigid on how you think this fasting is supposed to go, which is a good thing. But look what you've done with it. And you can't flex to this new thing. Second thing you say, they're so focused on the what and the how that they've missed the why. They're so focused on what his disciples were doing. Man, you guys aren't fasting. Later, you'll see it. They get so focused on how they are eating. Well, you don't wash your hands the right way. You don't do this. And, and everything, and their whole system is what and how. What you should do and what you shouldn't do. And how you do it and how you don't do it. That was all of life. And Jesus says, you guys get so focused on that, you've missed the whole why I'm here. The whole why God gave you the law. The whole why, why would you ever fast to begin with? You're more concerned you did it the right way on the right days instead of why you would ever want to do this to begin with. That happens when you become an old wineskin. You know, the third thing that really stood out to me in it is ultimately you lose what is and what could be. Ultimately, if you put that new wine in that old wineskin, you lose both of them. You lose what is, the old wineskin that you had, because it, it busts open. And you lose the new wine because it spills on the ground. It's gone. And, and, and as I say that, there's part that Jesus is pointing out, you would never do that then, would you? And in the same way, you got to ask yourself, do you think God's going to put new wine in old wineskins? See, here's the thing. God is continually moving. He's dynamic. The Spirit's moving in the world. God's doing new things. No matter what's happening around us, our God is always on the move. His church is always moving forward. God's doing new things in it. And, and if you ever find yourself at a place that you go, no, 
this is how you have to do things, God. If you find yourself so rigid, so focused on the what and how that you're missing the why, I'm going to tell you, God's not going to keep pouring into something where it just gets spilled out. He's looking for those, and that's what Scripture says, and, and even as I read through this, man, I pray in my own heart, Lord, mold me and shape me. Help me stay flexible. Lord, I don't want to be conformed, I want to be transformed by you. That word transform, you know what it means? I'm in constant change. And it's this change from the inside out because the new one, the new work, the new thing that God's doing in making me more like Christ. And what he's doing on an individual scale, guys, he's doing on a corporate scale as well. And so as a church, we want to be both new wineskins, the way we do things, and experience the new wine of what only God can do. Now, as we do that, and, and I'm going to tell you some of the new things we're doing, and we'll get to the what, I promise you. And I'm going to walk you through some of the things that maybe you're not aware of in our church or we're relaunching and we're doing again. I want you to be aware of the what and some of the how. But I think it's important at the beginning to go, man, why do we do what we do? What are some of those unchanging purposes around it? And so for us as a church, as I was just thinking about it, I mean, so when we think of the unchanging purposes of venture, why do we worship? Why, why do we come on a weekend? Why did we so desperately want to get back in this building and be able to corporately worship? Why did we set up tents outside because we valued that so much? It's because we want to bring great glory to God. That, that really is the core of it. We want His name great. And, and when I say that, we do that because He deserves it. He deserves his people gathering together and declaring how great he is. That's what we do in song. That's what we do when we open the Bible. That's why we do this. And, and I don't know about you, but I've experienced this well. I've realized I need that. I need that time every week where I'm getting with others and we're declaring that. And, and so the importance of that, that's an unchanging why for us. Now the expression of how we do that, it might change in different ways. Man, we always want to be creative. We always want to be thinking about worship, but we do it because God deserves glory. And we gather, we come, we live as a church to bring him that great glory. I say that as well, you know, another unchanging purpose would be our mission. And our mission as church is to help every person find and follow Jesus. I mean, the core of that, that, that phrase right there, find and follow Jesus, when we're saying that, that's just discipleship. I call it holistic discipleship. It's what Jesus told us in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. How do you do it? Baptizing them. So they've come into a relationship. They find Jesus and they discover him. And then teaching them. They follow him. So everything that we want to do is got to go back to this mission of how are we helping everybody in this church? Man, if they don't know Jesus, we want them to find Jesus. And if they do, how are we following him together? How do we do that across the Bay Area? How do we do that in ways? And again, when I talk about the how and the what, those ways may change because the culture changes. The people we're trying to reach change all the time. But the core of our mission doesn't change. And so we always know that why, and we're always making our decisions around that why of anything that we want to do around this place. Man, is that helping people in this area find Jesus? And is it helping them make that decision to follow him daily? 
When we think about our community together, man, this unchanging purpose, how do we love one another as the family of God? If you read through the New Testament, it's interesting, this, this phrase, one another, it's, it's quoted about 59 times. 59 times, and this is for Christians, people that are already part of the family of God. You're supposed to one another each other. You're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to encourage one another, reprove one another, correct one another at times. You come alongside one another. I mean, there's all these commands that tell us how do we live this out? These unchanging expressions of doing that so that the world knows that we're his disciples in the way that we love one another. And, and then I, I would just say an unchanging purpose, just like that, that settlement in Greenland and, and when the, that book collapsed said, societies fail when they turn inward, same happens to a church. I mean, we never want to be an inward focused church because God's called us to an outward world. And so our outreach with this, how do we leverage our influence to impact the world with the gospel? How do we use, when I say leverage influence, I'm saying, how do we use what God's given us here? How do we use the resource? How do we use the people? How do we use the gifts that he's given? How do we use anything that he has? How do we use as salt and light? That's what that is. It's influence outward. How do we share in tangible ways? How do we reach people in critical need? How do we think in innovative ways. I mean, in all these ways, how do we leverage that outward to impact the world for the sake of the gospel? How do we take this truth that Christ has done in our life and take it always outward? And, and I got to tell you, as I look at that, and especially this last one, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm in California. You know, I was, I was at Mount Hermon this last week and I was speaking and I was, met a lot of new people and they were hearing part of our story and, and everybody's like, wait, you moved to California twice in the last 10 years? I mean, everyone's moving the other direction. They're moving to the areas we moved from. And trust me, I know why. <laughs> Life's harder here in a lot of ways. It's more expensive here. And I, I see everything with that. We're not delusional. We're not dumb. But I'm just telling you, you know why I'm here? I don't think there's another spot on the planet more strategic to be able to live this out. Because here's what I know about the Bay Area. The things that happen here have great impact out there. The people, the ideas, the businesses, the people from all over the world. And so when I look at, at what happens, and we're one of those few spots on the planet. I mean, there's not a lot of cities you could say that about. There's not a lot of areas on the planet. I can pick a few with that, that you would literally say what happens in that place impacts the whole world. That is true of the Bay Area. And so when I look at that, I go, yeah. And if people found Jesus here, if people were following Jesus here, if that happened here, man, what would that mean out there? I can't think of a more strategic place to be. And so that's why I think that much more, and as an elder board, as a leadership team, we feel that burden of, Lord, how do we use what you've given us here? Because we want to bring great glory to you out there as we impact the world through the gospel that you've given us. Because I, I hope you're capturing this. I don't want to just move into what things, the why behind what we're praying, what we're thinking, what we're dreaming. And I think we're on the precipice of a great time as a church to be able to experience what God wants to do through us. Now, as I say that, I do want to inform you. And I'm going to walk through some areas, just areas of our church, just so that you can be up to speed with what we're thinking about and what we're praying about. 
and, and what we really hope in different areas. This is not conclusive of all the ministries we're doing in our church, but I think it's important in this juncture and this time for all of us to, to be on the same page with it. So let me just walk through some of these categories. The, the first one, in our worship ministry. I know, I don't know about you, we've said it over the last few weeks, but with Murph leaving, uh, personally, I felt that loss, just his friendship and his leadership. But I'm so thankful that he prepared the team to step forward. And with Charlie and Shep, and as we're dreaming and praying together. And so as we come back into the building, we don't want to just go back and get to worship like we used to. That's not the goal. Remember, we want to bring great, great glory to God. And so in our worship ministry, man, we are really focused right now on engagement over presentation. I think we have some of the most talented musicians, talented people in the world. We could present really well if that's our goal. That's not our goal, though. Man, we, we don't want the excellence to go down. But the goal is, how do we engage everyone's there? Because this is one of these unique things that we get to do collectively to come and bring glory to God in that place. And so just know as a worship team, that's at the forefront of our mind. How do we engage? And, and I would just challenge you, if you're coming back, man, you've got to make the choice to engage too. You've got to make the choice that you're going to truly worship in spirit and truth. Now, other things in our worship is we want creative expressions without losing the core elements. There's some core things that will always be a part of the worship service. But boy, if we're not stretching ourselves creatively, I think we're failing to really honor a creative God in whose image we were made. Uh, third thing about just worship, uh, we're always going to look to the Bible to speak to the issues of our time. We're always going to have it start and end here. And so even on a vision week, we're going to spend some time in God's Word. Because I think nothing changes lives more than what the Holy Spirit's doing and the teaching that actually comes out of the Bible. And so you'll know that's a commitment with it. Now, when you think about our staffing, I, it's, we've got a number of things. We kind of put a staffing pause on hold right before we went into COVID. And we've held on a number of positions. Just some of the key areas, these aren't all the positions that we're looking at. But I want you to know and be praying about some of the key areas where we're looking to staff. One of the key ones is strategic leadership and teaching. Uh, we're, we're really praying and looking for someone who would step in at a high level, both to bring good ministry leadership, but also I'm looking for someone to join the teaching team with me. I think it's good to share this. It gives me time to be able to focus on other ministries that I really want to pour my heart into, and especially as we think about outreach. But I think it's also a healthy thing for the body that you're hearing different voices and you're hearing strong teachers. So you can be praying about this position. Uh, another area where we're really looking to staff is in innovation and technology. And again, this comes out of that new wineskin. We went through a season where we had to innovate, even to do church, where we had to use technology. And, and the last thing we want to do is take those new wineskins and discard them now. If anything, it's shown us that we... There's certain things you can only do on this campus, but there are certain things that you can do through technology, that you can do through innovation. And we need some key leaders to help us stretch that here, especially if we're going to be a strategic church in the Bay Area that wants to impact beyond what God's doing in this place. And so be praying about those roles, and we'll tell you more about those. And then an, another key one is a next generation pastor. This has been a key need. God has blessed our children's ministry. He's blessed our student ministry. And now we have a gap, especially in college. And that college and, and those young adults right coming out of college in that. And so we are 
focused on hiring a pastor who will lead in that area. And again, I've told you, we've got a commitment to next generation. How do we help the kids and the young people who grow up in this church have the kind of faith that they would walk with Christ for the rest of their life? And I think the key gap where we're losing them nationwide is in college. And I think we're losing them in our church too. And so we are absolutely committed. How do we find leaders and how do we find a pastor who raise up a team that we target that gap, we target that group so that we can shepherd them well in one of the most critical areas and times in their life. That's some of the key staffing ahead of us. Campus-wise, if you've come back to campus, you've seen we've done a lot of work. We did some work in the worship center. We've been doing work in the lobby. We're not done yet. We feel like this campus needs to be better equipped for the ministry that we want to do in the future. And so some of the key areas that were the nursery and preschool, we want to renovate that whole floor and set it up for the kind of nursery and preschool that sets up for the future for young families. Uh, Right above it, new spaces for elementary programs. We want to come in and we're working with the design team now and looking at those rooms so that we can create the kind of children's ministry space that we have to have that can facilitate the kind of ministry for the future that, frankly, we've not had. And so we're working on that now, and that'll be coming over this year. We also, the design team is looking at new student and activity ministry areas. Right behind, out of 300 and 305, those rooms that are youth room, how do we use that space as it goes outside? We've seen unbelievable momentum in our student ministry this year. Uh, What's happened in those tents Um, even this last Tuesday night, we launched again. There's probably 300, 325 people between students and adults that were here on Tuesday night between our middle school and high school ministry. God is blessing in that. And we want to equip the space so that our students would, when they walk on this campus, they go, man, this place is for me. And so we're we're dreaming and look at the design to be able to do that. And and then other space is creating a new space for relational connection. And that's at the front of the church here. How how do we create a nice open space, a space that you could come and get a cup of coffee, a space, I call it the third space. Designers talk about this in in a neighborhood and in your world. Everybody usually has three spaces. You have home, you have work, and then everybody loves to have a third space. Starbucks built their whole model on this, is how could we be the third space, that third place that you love to go? And so we look at it and go, man, wouldn't it be awesome if you created that on this campus that when people talked about getting together, they go, oh, let's go meet up at Venture. Let's go connect there. Not, not just for our people, but for the neighborhoods around us so that we can serve them. We're working on all these things. I'm excited over the course of this year, we're going to come to you. We're, we're going to have to raise some money to be able to do this. But we so believe it will set up for where we're going and the kind of ministry that we do, not only for the next generation, but for our neighbors as well, that this is well worth the investment. Let me walk to a few other areas. Our growth ministries. So if you're going to grow here, and, and it's just some of you, you know this, some of you, maybe you haven't plugged in. Kind of two areas. One, if you want to get connected, you got to go through first step. Come connect with us so we can tell you about how to get plugged in everything I'm talking about. And and then if you've been around here, maybe you've been kind of on the fringe a little bit, get in a life group. Everybody needs to be in a life group. It's where you live out those one another's. It's, It's where you go from being on the fringe or just attending to really being a part of a movement, being a part of a church body, being a part of that bigger purpose that calls you up to the why. And church isn't just the what of what you do. 
And so, so get in a life group. And let us know. If, if you're having trouble getting in one, stop by the hub or write us. Call us online. We want to get you connected in that. Uh, also, get equipped. We've got women's ministry and classes for all different seasons of life and Bible studies and men's ministry. I'll be launching in the next few weeks here of just how we can equip men for how we live life. We'll have seminars. We've got one coming up October 3rd with Dave Kinneman. And I'm going to encourage everyone to be a part of that seminar. Uh, Kinneman leads the Barn Institute. You'll hear more about it over the next several weeks as we launch this Resilient Faith series. But we're going to keep bringing in people so that we can equip you in it. With that as well, we've got Venture Kids. Now right now on the weekend, 9.15, we got preschool through elementary available. And at 11.30 on the weekends, Frank, I'll just be honest with you, it's unavailable because we don't have volunteers. We need about 25 or plus adults who would say, yeah, I could step forward and be a part of that. And, you know, we've been talking about it for several weeks now. We're at the stage. Here's the problem. The 930 service, they're right at capacity. We're at the point where we're probably going to turn kids away at the door because the rooms just can't take anymore. Now, if we could launch 1115, then a lot of those kids could come to second service. And it gives us the capacity to serve and disciple kids that much more. And so I, I just want to encourage you. I know we talked about inertia and get going. It's time. I, if, I just feel the burden. If we can't serve the youngest in our church and disciple them, man, there, there's a core lack that's going on there. So it, it's time to step into that. Now, you may not realize we also have a Wednesday program for our kids, elementary kids. 5.30, they get together for pizza. And then Kid Venture is a discipleship program. And so that goes every week. That was launched during COVID. That grew during COVID. Because I told you, God's working through this next generation. We feel the new wine there. And so we're trying to come up with all the new wineskins to match that movement of what he's doing. With our high school and student ministry, uh, middle school on Tuesdays, on, on September 21st, they're going to launch the middle school skate park. We've actually, we've invested, they'll set it up. It'll be a middle school skateboard park every week from 5 to 6.30. And this was a vision of Diane Clemens. And again, here's what I love about it. She's sitting there thinking, okay, new wine, new wine skins. What, what are ways we could reach students that may not come on a normal Tuesday night, but they would come to the skate park? And then through that, we invested in it. And so that's going to start on the 21st. And, and then at 645, they do the worship teaching in small group. And it just keeps growing. And God's using it. And in the same way with the high school on Tuesday nights, they do 645 to 845. I love coming here. I love dropping off my kids. I've got kids in both. I've got middle school and high school. And so I see the energy. I see what God's doing. And it's fun to be a part of it. Now, a lot of you have asked, and, and this is going to be one of those things of changing how we do things. A lot of you asked about, what about Sunday morning? And you know, over the course of COVID, while we were shut down, we, we started praying through, okay, how do we do things and how are things happening and one of the things that really stood out to me, especially in student ministry, is the numbers that are coming out of students who were raised in the church, who once they go to college and beyond, they're no longer a part of church. And, and over the last 20 years, you're seeing drastic numbers with that. And, and one of the key things that they found is some of the ways we're doing things actually militate against students being a part of church in the future. 
whether we realize it or not. And, and for me, one of the, the stark things that stood out is that as they studied it, one of the things that actually hurt was having alternative programming in the time when you have church. The Fuller Institute launched a, a study called Sticky Faith. It's interesting. How do you get students to stick? And listen to their studies. And, and they just went at it just in the study. But one of the things they said, contrary to what is widely assumed, more than any other participation variable measured in the Sticky Faith study, more than anything else, students' participation in all church worship during high school was consistently linked with a developing a mature faith both in high school and college. They go on to say the two greatest things they saw to help a student connect with and continue with in their faith to have a sticky faith was when they worshiped with the rest of the church and when they served in the church. Those were the two strongest things. It wasn't based on their activity in the student ministry. Now, again, we have awesome student ministry. What happens on Tuesday night, the worship they're doing, the teaching, both Diane and Charles and the team that they do, and then the small group, as a parent, I couldn't be more thankful for that. But when we look at this and we look at the numbers of what's not working, we made the decision, you know what, if the most important thing is they serve in our church and they worship with the church, we're not going to have Sunday morning competing with it. And so middle school and high school on Sundays, they will worship and serve with the church family. And, and we've made that decision for the reasons that I, I said. It's not based on we've got staff, we could do it. We could do it the way we did it because we know how to do it. But see, that would be getting rigid despite what this is telling us. Now, I know you probably have a lot of questions about that as parents, and we'll, we'll tell you more. We're going to create, they're calling, I think, the student lounge. We're going to create a space right outside the lobby so students can connect. We want them there. We'll create space even in the worship service. They want to worship together. We're also going to create resources and tools for you as parents. And this is my burden out of it. When I look at what we do in the worship service and the time I spend on these sermons, it's one of the best discipleship tools you could have as a parent with your own kids if you would share it together. And the goal is when you leave, you don't just ask your students, well, did you like it or not? The goal is when you leave, you then dive in as a parent and go, hey, let's go through that again. Man, what did God's Word say there? I think the number one discipleship question you could ask them as a parent is if you looked at them and said, hey, let me tell you how I'm going to live out what Tim just preached this week. Let me, let me tell you what God told me and how I'm going to live it out. If you would take your conversation to that level, I promise you, you'll start seeing discipleship trigger out of something that's served up for the whole family that's right there. So we're committed to that together. You're going to see some things over the next week that you see place for students to connect. Trust me, we care about the students in the service. You're going to see more of the students on the stage and a part of the service because we're thinking about next generation there. But we can't keep doing it the way we've always done it if we expect anything different. We have to be willing to change. A few other things, just so you're aware. Our care ministry, some of you don't realize all that's going on. We have a prayer weekly Zoom. There's about 75, 80 of us that every week we get together and have a prayer meeting on Zoom. Love to have you as a part of that. 
Our seniors fellowship, they, they launched that during COVID as it was coming out. They meet once a month. It's awesome with that. We've launched life coaches. Some of you, you need a coach to come alongside. You're struggling in your marriage and that. Nine people have been trained. We're working with Western Seminary. Other churches are asking us about it. And all this happened during COVID. Man, we got divorce care. We got single moms. We got support and recovery, warrior men and journey women. Maybe you're struggling with sexual addiction or porn. There are people that meet every week with it. We got joyful rebounders, a, a group of widows and, and elderly women. They get together. I love that name, the joyful rebounders. And then one of my favorite ministries we have here meets every other Monday night, living with hope and mental health. Of those who come together and they just share, man, here's where I am in my struggle. And how do we support each other? And that's every other Monday night. It starts on the 20th. And then one final just area is we think about Venture Unleashed and Outreach. I, I just, again, I put some of the dates of things upcoming. Because remember, our goal here is never to turn inward. How are we turning outward? And so this weekend, City Team, one of our core partners that we love the ministry of City Team, they're having their graduation here. And so we love sharing with our partners in it. On September 8th, this day of unity, Venture and Healing Grove, and, and if you haven't signed up for this, we need about 150 volunteers. And we probably need about 100 more. There's two, day, two times on that day of the 18th. That's a Saturday. There's a morning time for about three hours and an evening time for about three hours, late afternoon. And we're going to serve the community over by Healing Grove. And Pastor Carlos from VEE, Venture in Espanol, he's going to share that day. The mayor's coming. The, the police commissioner's coming. County commissioners are coming. And the volunteers for the whole event are venture people. We're, we're just there to serve. And so if you're looking for a tangible way, you go, yeah, I could be a part of that. I could be a part of the kids station. I could be a part of the care station. All the different things with it. Sign up for that. This is what we're about. Uh, Neighbors Nation, Faith Promise is coming in October because we, we always have a global mindset. We've got the uh, Fall Festival coming back October 29th. This year we're going to launch Winter Wonderland. And again, both of these events, these are how do we use our campus for our neighbors. Our, our Fall Festival last year, we had about 800 people come. Over half of them were not a part of the Venture family. They were neighbors that heard about it. And so whether it's Winter Wonderland, whether it's Egg Hunt, whether it's all those events, it, again, it's just how do we think outward and use these resources, this campus here that we could do that. You know, I threw on here Block Party 2.0. A lot of us had block parties this summer. There's nothing to stop you from doing the next one. In fact, I heard from almost everybody that did a block party, they said, oh man, my neighbors all said, we need to do it again. Can I ask you, go ahead and do it again. Go ahead and be the instigator that gets people together as we take this great thing that God's done in our lives and we just share it by loving our neighbors and our friends. Because there's a lot going on. And as I finish, I, I just would challenge you, you need to get in the game. It's time to get off the sideline. It's time to get out of the stands. It's time to get off the bench. I don't care where you are. It's time to get in the game. And so if you've not gotten in the game, here's what I would tell you how to do it. First one is get on your knees. And what do I mean with that? Pray. Pray. Pray for God to do his good work here. Pray for that new wine to be poured out here. I want an adventure. I want it in the bay. And as you pray, and this is what I'm praying for me, that each of us would be a new wineskin. I don't want to be the rigid person that God looks at and goes, oh man, I'd love to pour new wine there. 
but it's just going to pour out because he won't change. He won't flex. And I, I pray that every one of us will go, yeah, I'll be a new once again. I want to be a part of what God's doing. Uh, secondly, I just say, get connected. Whether it's first step, whether it's a life group, whether it's a care ministry, whatever. You take the initiative though and get connected. If you're not connected at Venture, I went through, and there's enough resources, there's enough doorways, there's enough groups that I would say at this point, if you're having trouble, let us know, but otherwise you have to take the initiative. Third thing, get equipped. I mean, whether it's women's, men's, the seminars, use the equipping tools that we have here. And then the final part is just get involved. Whether you serve on our campus, on our children's ministry, on our teams that are here, whether you serve out in the community, whether it's with city team, whether, whether it's with our partners, Healing Grove and the other ones outward, just get involved. Get outward in your own life. And then as you get involved, man, give generously. We're going to call you to give generously this year because God's doing a lot. And we, we have big dreams of what we believe God's called us to do. And I can't think of anything more exciting than to actually get out of the stands, to get up off the bench and actually get in the game and get to be a part of it. Guys, we're at such a unique season in the life of any church, coming out of what we've come out of the last year and a half. And you need to hear the, the passion I feel, the commitment that we have. It's not to just go back and be able to do what we could. It's to be open before God and go, God, pour out new wine. Make us new wineskins. That you could do something here that would have great impact for your glory out there. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Christ. I thank you for the gospel. And I thank you for venture. I thank you that you have placed this church here for this time. Out of all the spots you could have put us on the planet, you give us the privilege of living in the Bay Area. And Lord, we don't want to take that privilege lightly. We, we feel a sense of stewardship that we want to steward well the opportunity that you've given us. Lord, I, I pray that we would be a church filled with new wine, that you would stretch us as new wineskins, that we would be open in every way to what you want to do. Lord, I pray for anybody here, maybe they've been a little disconnected. I pray they'd get in the game. Lord, I pray if somebody here is new, that they would not feel they have to wait around that you are always doing new things and, and we want them to be involved. Lord, if there's someone that they're, uh, maybe they've just been far away for a while, I, I pray that you would draw them back to this new thing that you're doing. Lord, we thank you and we praise to you and pray all this in Christ's name. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.